0: So, New Year, huh? Gosh, it comes so fast. It's amazing how fast these things turn. Any of you have any New Year's resolutions? How many are really just done with New Year's resolutions? <laughs> you know, more and more, New Year's resolutions are becoming an object of derision. You know, it's just like nobody wants to do it. What with what, what, the stats or something incredible? It's like 98% of New Year's resolutions end up not being you know, carried through on, but a full 30% are dropped before the end of January, I think. It's something like that. You know, it's just crazy. And so, uh, yeah, New Year's resolutions. But I have a few quotes here that I just want to read you just about New Year's resolutions just to kind of get us started here. New Year's resolution, to tolerate fools more gladly, provided this does not encourage them to take up more of my time. I thought that was pretty good. Um, That was James Agate. New Year's Day is now the accepted time to make your regular annual good resolutions. Next week, you can begin paving hell with them as usual. Mark Twain. 30 ways to shape up for the new year. Number one, eat less. Number two, exercise more. Number three, what was I talking about? I'm so hungry right now. Maria Bamford. And one of my personal favorites, my New Year's resolution list usually starts with the desire to lose between 10 and 3,000 pounds. That's Nia And then finally, may all your troubles last as long as your New Year's resolutions. Yes, Joey Adams. You know, not everyone, though, is so cynical about New Year's resolutions. Uh, there is something to be said with at least going over the line with the intention changing, right, changing things. Uh, Steven Spielberg said, all of us, every single year, we're a different person. I don't think we're the same person all our lives. C.S. Lewis said, there are far, far better things ahead than any that we leave behind. And G.K. Chesterton wrote, the object of a new year is not that we should have a new year. It is that we should have a new soul and a new nose new feet, a new backbone, new ears, and new eyes. Unless a particular man made New Year's resolutions, he would make no resolutions. Unless a man starts afresh about things, he will certainly do nothing effective. And then finally from Neil Gaiman, I hope that in this year to come, you make mistakes. Because if you are making mistakes, then you are making new things. Trying new things, learning, living, pushing yourself, changing yourself, changing your world. You're doing things you've never done before. And more importantly, you're doing something. So that's my wish for you and all of us, and my wish for myself. Make new mistakes, make glorious, amazing mistakes, make mistakes no one's ever made before. Don't freeze. Don't stop. Don't worry that it isn't good enough or it isn't perfect. Whatever it is, art, love, work, family, life, whatever it is you're scared of doing, do that. (laughs) Make your mistakes next year and forever. You know, we as human beings need a sense of progression. We need to set dates. We need to set milestones. We need to feel the sense of progression and movement along our lives. We need the sense of the chance to begin again, to begin anew, to have a rebirth, to start things over again, to start fresh. Now, we've already talked about the fact that, yeah, New Year's is an artificial line. It's just an arbitrary line that we set Yeah, the earth is spinning around, but, you know, we set these lines in place for ourselves. When Marion and I were first married, our first apartment was in Irvine in the Turtle Rock area, and it backed up against a, a nature reserve. And there was a colony of turkey vultures that roosted, nested in the eucalyptus that was all around our apartment complex. And, you know, most people hated them because of the stuff they left on the sidewalk, you know, which is pretty fierce sometimes. But I love those guys. You know, I'd get up in the morning and they'd be there and they, you know, they don't really flap much. They just wait for the heat to start rising and they just open up and ride these currents of hot air. And so they're waiting for the the heat to start moving. And so they're looking and they're watching. And then as soon as it's time, they all take off and fly and they go into the office for the day. And they do what they do. And then they come back at night, and then they come and they settle down, and they wait for the next day. And it didn't matter what day of the week it was. It didn't matter if it was Sunday or Saturday or Christmas or New Year's or anything else. They would do exactly the same thing except when it rains, when they would just sit there hunkered over and all miserable looking the whole day because they couldn't do anything else. But there was no sense of time for them. It was light. It was dark. The air was rising. The air was not rising. It was raining or not. We have the sense of time, and we need that. We need to have a concept of time, you know. How about your dogs, your puppies? They don't have a sense of time, you know. It's time to get up, it's time to go to sleep, it's time to eat, but there's no sense of progression. We, as human beings, need that sense of progression. We think of time, though, at least here in the West, as a straight line, don't we? But if you really think about it, Time is a circle. It's all about circles. Our universe is made of circles. Ever think about that? It's all about circles. The universe is a clock that's made of circles. It can't help it. Anytime that you have gravity or surface tension, it's going to pull matter into the smallest possible area that that matter can contain or take up. And what is that? That shape is a sphere in three dimensions. It's a circle in two dimensions. Why is a soap bubble always round? Do you ever think about these things? Besides Stephen Wright, do any of you really think about these things? Why is a soap bubble always round, you know? Because the surface tension is pulling in on the air that's trapped inside. And when that equalizes, it's going to take up the smallest possible surface area and volume, and that's a sphere. It has to be a sphere. It's always going to be a sphere. And if there was no air inside the bubble, then it would collapse all the way down to a spherical drop, like a raindrop, and it would fall. Planets in space whatever they happen to be, galaxies, stars, they're all going to find that same shape. It's all about circles. And when planets rotate around a a sun or a black hole, doesn't matter, it's going to be a circle. It's circles within circles, and these circles are the timepiece. God's timepiece is this universe that is ticking away with each rotation, with each spin on an axis we are seeing the clock in action. And it's the awareness of these circles. It is being part and participating in these circles that is the time that we experience. If there weren't any circles, if we weren't moving along these circles, we wouldn't have any sense of progression of time. Put yourself in a closed room. After a while, you have no sense of time anymore. Prisoners who end up in solitary, that's the thing that that drives them absolutely mad after a while. There is no sense of time. They don't have light or dark. They don't have any cues to the passage of time. We need that. Our days, It's it's the earth rotating, spinning on its axis, a circle. Months, the moon rotating in a circle around the earth. Seasons and years, the earth rotating around the sun, coming full circle. After every circuit is the completion of that circuit, the completion of the circle, coming full circle, we say, the perfection of the circle. We have just perfected a circle. On Friday night at midnight, we perfected the year 2021. Now, how many of you would consider 2021 a perfect year? (laughs) These last two years have been pretty tough, haven't they? We would never say that 2021 was perfect, but can you think of any year that you would say was a perfect year? Maybe it was a better year for you personally, but was it a perfect year? What do we mean? Is there anything that we can say that makes a year perfect? Well, 2021 is now a perfect year. It is complete. It is perfected because the earth made and completed its circuit around the sun. The Aramaic word for perfect that we translate as perfect is Gamar. Gamar means full circle. It means to complete. It means to perfect in this sense of fulfilling something, to complete its purpose, to complete the task, to complete the circuit. Now the start and the end point that we put on our years, of course, is arbitrary. I mean, we have some cues because of that 23-degree tilt of the axis. We've got seasons, and so we can actually see the seasons, and we know that those happen at the quadrants around the Earth's rotation. But still, we draw the line where we want to. Is it a fiscal year? Is it a calendar year? We can draw the line anywhere we want to. But wherever we do, when we come back around to the place that we started from, we have perfected that circle. Now, the Earth doesn't know that it has completed another circuit. It's just going to keep on moving and continue to keep on moving. That's what it does. But we know and we understand. But if we're going to really think of this year, this past year, as being perfected, if we're going to think of us now launching into a new year that we want to perfect in 12 months, then we're going to need a new concept or a new idea of what perfection is all about. Now, Jesus said in Matthew 5, be ye perfect, you know those frightening words be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect and then James in chapter 1 of his book said you know be perfect and complete lacking nothing now we know that this is impossible for us on one level don't we is there any ever point that you have felt perfect in your life do you think that there's going to be a time when you feel that you are perfect by our usual definition of that word not really Not without mistake, certainly. Not without blemish. Not without fault. That's not what we mean by this. And that's not what Jesus or James mean by this. When they're asking us, exhorting us, telling us, be perfect, be complete, be fulfilled, they're not saying be without mistake, without blemish. They're saying be full circle. Come back home again. Fully present, from wherever it is that you went off from, when you come back, be back. Come back to this moment, to this place. Endure what needs to be endured so that you can come back to where you started. And I love the way T.S. Eliot put it, and know the place for the first time. That's perfect. That's gamar, if we think of it that way. Now, James uses this theme of endurance throughout his book, and especially in the first chapter, this idea of completion. So we have now endured 2021. (laughs) That sounds pretty horrible, but we lived through it. We breathed through it. We're still breathing now in 2022. So we endured, we completed, we perfected 2021 because we are here breathing in 2022. Now, this is not a comment on how well we did in 2021. It's not even a comment on how well 2021 did, but it's a comment that we did complete 2021, that we came full circle. We completed this cycle. We completed this particular journey. Let's take a look at what James has to say so we can be a little more specific. Um, First chapter, um, verse 2 famous chapter, right? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. The testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So here's this endurance through difficult times. So many of us are going through difficult times right now. I know because I'm talking to many of you, and I'm talking to a lot of other people who are going through so many difficult times. These are times of of a lot of illness. People who are getting cancer in their 30s, people who are catching COVID, people who have compromised systems. There's illness everywhere. There is death of family members and loved ones. There is loss of jobs, loss of income that is going on. Finances, marriages, that are being pulled apart, families being pulled apart, often by something that would be seemingly as simple as masks and vaccines that are just pulling families apart like I haven't seen before as a pastor and as a counselor. There's also job loss we talked about. There's the macro issues, not just the micro issues, but the macro issues. People worried about, really worried about climate change, worried about pandemic, worried about political, you know, reformation that is going on around the world and balance of power. These are the trials that are not going to end because the year has ended, of course. They're not over because 2021 is over, but they are all a part of ourselves. We have perfected this year but we haven't entered into the perfection that James is talking about necessarily. It depends on each one of us. If you're going to actually endure to a perfect result that James is talking about, it's not about the outcome of the difficulty that you're facing. It's not about the result of the difficulty that you're facing. It's about the effect that the trial or the difficulty has on you not the effect you have on the trial or the difficulty or the outcome. This idea of endurance, if we're enduring through gritted teeth, this is not the idea of the perfection James is talking about. Because for James, the outcome is largely irrelevant to the perfection that is going to happen as you move through the trial. The gritted teeth is the focus on the outcome, James is focusing on the endurance through the trial and what it is teaching us at any one moment. If we're just gritting our teeth and getting and enduring through the trial, then we're like a dry drunk who is no longer drinking but has not found anything to replace that alcohol with, anything to replace what their security blanket was. And so they become the most miserable people on earth. Have we come to be able to accept life's terms and conditions? You know, all those legal waivers that you never actually read, the terms and conditions. Life has terms and conditions. Are we becoming the kind of people that are ready to actually click on that, to accept those terms and conditions, to accept the fact that life's difficulties, which are always with us, always present in any year, in any life, in any moment, usually are the very things that are there to mature us, to grow us up, to perfect us. Can we be grateful in the moment? Not because the moment is perfect. This is the most important thing to understand. Can we be grateful in the moment? But not because the moment is perfect, but because we are perfectly present and connected to the moment's imperfection not taking the imperfection as the be-all and end-all of whether we are going to be able to enjoy that moment, to thrive within that moment, but to simply be present to what the moment is, to be presently, perfectly present to the imperfection of the moment. If we can start to do that, find ways to do that, now we're moving into the kind of perfect result that James is talking about. I know I've told this story before, but I love telling it. So for some of you, my jokes are still new, I think. I had a friend. This was all the way back in the 80s when I was working for a, a healthcare firm. And uh, this friend was over in the IT department, and uh, he was uh, an Indian national from India. And he had very dark skin and a... a, a, a A blindingly white smile. When he opened his smile up, it was like turning on a light bulb, literally turning on a light bulb. It was the coolest thing. And he was just the nicest guy. And we got to know each other at work. And then finally, we started deciding we're going to start to hang out together, right? But there was one thing about (laughs) Rom, is that whenever we set a date and a time to show up, he was always late, not just a little bit late. He could be two hours late, two and a half hours late. He just operated on a completely different time frame, a completely different worldview. I guess it was Eastern or something like that. You know, time is a circle. You know, he's not li- worried about segments, you know, but he was just that kind of guy. And it was annoying, of course, and I, I, I couldn't, how am, how am I supposed to schedule anything with someone like this? But I enjoyed his company so much that I decided, okay, I know what I'll do. I'll just have him come to my house. Whenever we scheduled anything, Ram came to my house. That way, I just lived my life, kept traveling around the circle until Ram joined me. And it was usually with tandoori chicken, you know, and, and the red stains all over his shoes because that's the way he cooked. But he, it was the greatest. I worked out a way to be able to be perfectly present to the imperfection that I deduced in him, you know, which wasn't necessarily an imperfection. It was just something that I didn't like. Can we start to do that? Can we come up with ways to be able to do this, to accept imperfection, to realize that it's part of the deal, it's part of the terms and the conditions, and still enjoy our time, enjoy our moments, even thrive in our moments in the midst of the imperfection? And even if we're not fully joyful about it or maybe thriving under some of the conditions that we are under, to at least understand the purpose of the imperfection, to understand the meaning behind the difficulty that we're facing. Because with meaning, any difficulty, any trial becomes endurable if we can see the meaning in it, if we can see the need for it, if we can see what it is doing, if it's taking us someplace. And James completes this thought at chapter 5, starting at verse 7, therefore, be patient, And we can infer that there he means patiently endure, brethren. Be patient, patiently endure until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Patiently endure. Yes. Now this this idea here he's talking about, this coming of the Lord, see the value in persisting until the coming of the Lord. And that trips us up a little bit sometimes because we're wondering, okay, does that mean end times? Does that mean you know, the Bema Seat Judgment? What are we talking about here when we talk about the coming of the Lord? Well, in Aramaic, in Hebrew, the coming of the Lord was an idiomatic expression. It was an idiom for your own death, for one thing. The coming of the Lord was your death when you would meet the Lord. It was also an idiom for the end of an era or the end of an epoch. Any significant end of a certain set of circumstances moving into another set of circumstances could be considered the coming of the Lord. The fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. certainly was the coming of the Lord. It was the end of an era, end of the epoch, end of the Second Temple, end of a Jewish way of life as they had known it for centuries and millennia even Broadly, we can consider the coming of the Lord the completion of a cycle, the completion of an age. What he's talking about here is endure endure until the end of these trials. Endure to the end of what it is that you're experiencing right now. Endure to the end of this cycle. Complete the circle. Come full circle. And because... It's impossible to know when the cycle is going to end, when the coming of the Lord will actually be. Therefore, it's always near. Have you thought about that? If you don't know when something is going to happen, it's always happening now. It can happen any moment if you don't know when it's going to happen. The Hebrew bride doesn't know when her groom is going to come and completely change her life by taking her back to his father's house. And because she doesn't know the moment or the time, it's always here. It's always now. It's always present. As soon as you attach a date to something, which is what we always do in the West, now we have this run up to it. And it changes the nature of our relationship to that moment. But when we don't know, then it's always near. It's always expected any day, every day. And therefore, you need to be ready You need to be present and waiting at every moment for that thing to occur. James uses the image of the gardener, the farmer, again. Jesus and James always using the image of the farmer to try to get across the nature of this attitude, this relationship to life. Showing up every day diligently, doing the invisible work, the work that nobody sees, nobody honors, really. You're just preparing soil. You're just putting in seeds, you're watering, you're doing things that nobody cares about, nobody sees, but you show up every day to do it. Waiting on rain, waiting on soil, waiting on seed, and completely dependent on the rains. We talked about this in Judea, there is no water source that you can irrigate from, they're completely dependent on the early rains and the late rains, and he references though those in this passage. The early rains, the yore, that happen in the autumn between October and December. The hard driving rains that break up the soil that has been baked into place over the summer and gets it ready for planting. And then the latter rains that are softer and gentler in March and April, the melkosh, that complete the harvest and take them into the harvest of the early summer. These early and late rains, you can't force them. You can't hurry them along. You certainly can't control them. You can't build irrigated ditches. You can't build wheels. There's nothing you can do except wait for them to show up. All things in their time. You can either participate in the cycle or you can get out of the way, but there's nothing else in between. What are you going to do? Are you going to ride the cycle in harmony or are you going to try to buck it in some way? This takes us back to the country. the, uh, the, uh, contradiction, I suppose, or the contrast between warriors and gardeners. Christians love to use the warrior image. Paul uses it when he talks about the armor of God, but it's not really so much that we should live life with the attitude of a warrior because Jesus and James are always talking about farmers, always talking about gardeners. And there's a whole different attitude between those two. The warrior is about the event. The warrior is talking about something preemptive, something imperialistic, trying to take control, grab something by the throat. Whereas the gardener is more of a process, holistic, immersive, just riding the cycles. Jesus in the Beatitudes says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God or children of God. This idea of the peacemaker is something that we're not as familiar with that idea that it's not just about breaking up a controversy, breaking up a fight. It's not that kind of event. The word there that is used is actually two words, lavde shlama, which means makers of peace. But the idea of making here, again, is showing up daily. The image, again, is of a farmer or gardener bent over the soil. This invisible diligence. That takes place every single day, patiently preparing for the miracle to happen. You remember, Jesus says the miracle happens while the farmer is sleeping. The gardener is asleep when the actual sprout takes place. That miracle of the harvest, in this case, the miracle of shalom, the miracle of the greatest amount of wholeness and completion, perfection, full circleness, which is what shalom really means is what has been diligently and invisibly prepared for, day after day. If you're going to be a peacemaker the way Jesus is talking about it, is you are showing up to do the tiniest, most insignificant things every day that are building the fabric of peace, the fabric of shalom, the fabric of wholeness, of full circleness, of perfection in the sense of completion. These people will be called sons or children of God. In other words, they are identical to God because God is doing the same thing. We think of God doing these great things, but God is showing up every day invisibly in our lives, tending to the details that are contributing to the shalom that is there for us should we decide to accept it. This is it. Children of God. God doing the same thing. I wanted to read just a little bit from a book called The Hidden Gospel, which was written by a Middle Easterner, a native Aramaic speaker. He talks about waiting for completeness. If we accept completeness as a goal for our life's work, the questions arise. How and when do we get there? What do we do with our incompleteness in the meantime? To answer these questions, we need to consider the Aramaic sense of two words considered briefly in our introduction, good and evil. These words have more non-Middle Eastern baggage attached to them than any others we have considered so far. To begin to unload this baggage, imagine, imagine the following scene with me. The smell of apple, almond, and sycamore trees in blossom. The sight of riotously colorful wildflowers in bloom on a hillside above the Sea of Galilee. The sound of thousands of variegated water birds, egrets, herons, and cranes following their intricate and beautiful migratory patterns up the Jordan River rift valley just at the right time. The black basalt hills above the Sea of Galilee providing rich, dark, but very thin soil upon which to sow the strong winds blowing in from the Mediterranean at particular times of the day. In such a setting, timing was essential for success in planting. In Yeshua's day, the whole area of Galilee was much wetter than it is now, virtually a jungle in many areas. Water buffalo and lion roamed about to travel safely through this wild landscape dependent on knowing when certain areas were flooded, when animals that might be dangerous to humans were present, and when and where one could find edible food. Yeshua experienced all of these sensations of the natural world around him as it followed the rhythm of sacred unity. To describe this rhythm of rightness and ripeness, the Aramaic language uses the word taba, usually translated good. From its roots, the word points to something that maintains its integrity and health, by an inner sense of growth in harmony with what surrounds it. The Gospels quote Jesus using the word taba in de- several different ways. In one sense, it means that which is in tune, in time, and in harmony with sacred unity. Those who are good are at the right place and the right time with the right action. In this sense, they are prepared for any event, ready ready with full presence in the moment. Here's this idea of staying in harmony, staying in ripeness, staying in taba. Completion is the process of moving through these cycles of cycles. It's not an event like the warrior, but the process of the gardener, of just showing up, moving from cycle to cycle to cycle aware of the cycles, being part of the cycles, riding the cycles the way a surfer rides the wave. There's no shortcuts to this process. The only way to the Father that Jesus says, the only way to the perfection of the Father is this way. There's no circumventing it. We must endure. We must complete the cycle, complete the circle. Jesus brings this point again home in ways that we don't normally understand right away when he talks about the good shepherd. And the good shepherd, if I can get back to that sheep, let's look at John 10. In John 10, starting right at verse 1, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, amen, amen, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by his name, by name, and leads them out. We need to understand a little bit about sheep enclosures, and some of you have heard this before. But they were rough enclosures, they were sometimes ad hoc, you know, improvised enclosures that a shepherd would employ, usually against the side of a hill, where they only had to build three sides that way. And they could use anything, you know? Sheep are not the brightest bulbs on the tree, and you don't need something real high. They will respect, you know, just a little one-foot or two-foot little wall there. And so they would build it out of stones or whatever they could find, and then leave an opening on one side, and that was the door. And he'd drive the sheep into the enclosure, and then he'd stand in the enclosure. He'd sleep in the space, in the doorway, and the sheep would not step over him. He was literally the gate, the door of the sheep enclosure. This is the image that everyone that Jesus was talking to at the time would have understood and have experience with. And so they get what he's talking about. The sheep are only going in and out to the safety in the in the night, to the pasture during the day, through that door, through that opening that was controlled by the shepherd, literally being the door himself. Anyone or anything that is stepping over is a wolf, is a thief, is a robber. There is no shortcut. There is no circumventing the one way in and the one way out that will lead both to the safety and the security of the shepherd and the abundance that was outside the enclosure. This is what Jesus is talking to. That door, Jesus is the door. At verse seven, so Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and the only way to the Father. He's the door and the way of joyful and patient endurance and completion of our cycles, no matter how difficult they are. Jesus is showing us an attitude toward life that is grateful for the gifts that come with the rain and the tide that we can't control, we can't hurry. We can only be present when the fruit falls because we are showing up every day over and over again. The movie Castaway, I thought, was a a great movie. I really enjoyed that movie with Tom Hanks, if you're familiar with it. And the story is he's a FedEx employee who goes down in a plane over the Pacific Ocean and is uh, marooned on a desert island. Not with Gilligan, but for four years, he's all alone with Wilson, (laughs) the soccer ball. After four years, he finds his way back home again. By this time, his wife, Kelly, has remarried, and he loses her all over again. But there's this one little bit that I wanted to read you. See how it relates to what we're talking about. He says, we had both done the math. Kelly added it all up and knew she had to let me go. I added it up, and I knew that I had lost her, because I was never going to get off that island. And I was going to die there totally alone. I was going to get sick or get injured or something. The only choice I had, the only thing I could control, was when and how and where it was going to happen. So I made a rope, and I went up to the summit to hang myself. I had to test it, you know, <laughs> of course, you know me. And the weight of the logs snapped the limb of the tree, so I couldn't even kill myself the way I wanted to. I had power over nothing. And that's when this feeling came over me like a warm blanket. I knew somehow that I had to stay alive. Somehow I had to keep breathing, even though there was no reason to hope. And all my logic said that I would never see this place again. So that's what I did. I stayed alive. I kept breathing. And one day my logic was proven All wrong, because the tide came in and gave me a sail. And now, here I am. I'm back, in Memphis, talking to you. I have ice in my glass. And I've lost her all over again. I'm so sad that I don't have Kelly. But I'm so grateful that she was with me on that island. And I know what I have to do now. I got to keep breathing. Because tomorrow, the sun will rise. And who knows what the tide could bring? Love that. Enduring to the perfection of a cycle, the completion of a circle. We can't imagine the outcome. The outcome is not the point. The completion of the cycle is the point. The turning of last year to the beginning of this new year is one cycle of our lives, and we're still breathing here. So we completed it. But are we perfected the way that James talks about that perfection? And we're not perfect, but if we can welcome this new year, accept the turning gratefully, entering by Jesus' door, this way of being present, then we are becoming perfected. Jesus at John 4, ten fourteen, he says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. I am the good shepherd. One of the most famous lines in all of Christianity. But if you read it in Aramaic, it reads, Enna Enna Raya Taba. Enna Enna Raya Taba. Literally, if you translate that into English, I I shepherd. Good. Enna, enna is another enumatic, idiomatic expression. It's an intensive I am. I, I. Intensively emphatic statement of being present. An emphatic statement of being itself. I am. An emphatic statement of identity. Taba, we talked about. Ripeness, wholeness, harmony. So, but Jesus is saying, if you take the idea of ena, ena, and taba and put that together, we're not talking about a good shepherd in the way we think of a good shepherd. A shepherd that comports to certain standards that we have that we're bringing to the table here. Literally, we could translate this, the shepherd of wholeness. Or even better, the guide to completion. The guide to wholeness. The way to wholeness. The shepherd was the one who tended the flock and guided it. The good shepherd is the guide to this wholeness. We could take this line maybe and paraphrase it and say, I am the good shepherd. My presence, my being, shepherds, guides, tends the sheep to wholeness, to perfection, to Abba. How do we do this? How does he do this in us? When we bring our enna, enna, to his emphatic presence, his enna, enna. Everything connects. He's telling us, my emphatic presence is here with you now. When you meet me with yours just as emphatically, everything connects. Everything makes sense. Meaning and purpose are part of our experience. These last two years have been really, really difficult for us. They have taken us out. They have separated us. We have separated ourselves from the pain and everything that has been going on. I was just reading a a news article that said, Americans are exhausted. (laughs) I said, yeah, I can second that. We're just exhausted by this. Two years of never ending over and over. And just when we think it's about to come out the other side, here we are right back into the middle of it. Many of you called me, you're not here today because of the sickness and the things that you are experiencing. We're exhausted. These have been difficult years and the difficulties are going to continue. They're not going to stop, Be you know, just right on December 31st for 2022. And so, so many of us are hoping for a new year. I got a lot of texts in this last week. So much hope for this year. This year's going to be better. Sharon, you said, this year's going to be better. I said, I'm taking that to the bank, you know. There's so much hope that this is going to be different. But you know what? 2022 is going to be a mixed bag, like 2021 and 2020, and every other year that any of us have experienced or humanity has experienced. It's not going to be perfect from that point of view. It's going to have some good things, and it's going to have some not-so-good things. So will it be a good year? (laughs) That's up to each and every one of us whether it's going to be a good year. It will be whatever it is. But if we can change our idea of perfection, if we can change our idea of the criteria for our ability to see good, to see Taba, to see wholeness and completeness, then this will be a good year. Because it's not about perfect circumstances. It's about being perfectly present to, aware of, and accepting of the imperfection that is inherent in the experience of our lives in every moment, making friends with the terms and conditions of life. So even as we work for change and work hard for change, work seriously for change, really wanting this change, we still can let this moment be enough for us, just enough for us, perfectly imperfect. But our presence to it changes everything when we can do that, when we can balance the now and the not yet, that's a perfect year. Let's make 2022 a perfect year by holding in one embrace the experience of the now, even as we work or wish for or pray for the not yet. Let's pray. Father, you are here. You're in this new year just as you were in the last year and every year and always will be. If we are feeling that you have been less present because of the things that we have endured, if we are wavering on our conviction that you really do care about each one of us, help us to lean into our moments more this year. Help us to renew our prayer life contemplatively, any way that we are able, any way that we care to, as long as it will enhance our sense of your presence, enhance our awareness of the purpose of the difficulties we face, our awareness of the growth that we are experiencing as we continue to breathe through the pain. That we are facing. You are our God, and you are here every moment. Help us to lean into exactly the space and the time that we will find you and the conviction that you've never left us, and that we are growing as you intend us to grow through the difficulties we face. We want to be perfected in you, Lord, and that's the only way that can be understood. So help us to do that more and more. Help us to have the resolution of our intention to more and more find you in every moment. And that will be enough for us. Thank you for all of the love and the intention that you lavish on us, Father. And never let us forget that we can only love because you loved us first. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand.